This is Joy. And this is Claire. And this is Joy and Claire. A weekly podcast talk show about the things that bring us together. Make us happy. Make us whole. Make us human. Hey guys, this is Joy. And this is Claire. This is Joy and Claire. Howdy. Hey friends. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. No other day. Always Thursday. You can always count on us. Every Thursday for <laughs> years and years and life. years and years for the, for the rest, rest of your life. <laughs> Whether you want it or not, we you will know, be here. It's really funny. I just, so we're turning cadet in this week and I saw a memory pop up on my Facebook that was when I graduated with JT was exactly eight years ago this week. Isn't that crazy? So we're turning in cadet the same week eight years ago that I graduated with JT. It's so weird. So JT also turns 10 this week. It's his birthday week. Yeah. So many fun things going on with dogs. I don't know if it's fun, but. Dogs. How are you feeling? Can you talk about it? Yeah, I can talk about it. I am in this. Like emotionally, can you talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you meant. I'm like, are you gonna? Am I gonna just lose it? No, I can talk about it. So, I mean, if everyone should know this by now, but yeah, cadet turns into advanced training this Friday. Uh, we've raised her for canine companions for about eighteen months now, and her advanced training will be could be up to six months. At that point, she would then be matched with someone for service. Uh, working as a service dog. So just to clarify again, I do not keep the dog for a service dog. We did not train her to be our service dog, but we are training her to be someone else's service dog. However, if she fails out of advanced training at any time, she could come back to us as a pet and live out the rest of her life as a pet. So uh, after we turn her in on Friday, we wait about six weeks to get her first puppy report. So every month, the trainers will send you just like a little report card on how she's doing, which is really cute. We could also get a phone call too. So it's it's very much like a pins and needles. You just hope she does well. It's such mixed feelings because of course, we would love to have her as a pet, but you also are doing this for the agency. And we've known that since day one, this is not our dog. But I've just, I've definitely noticed in the past month, like Scott and I had a huge breakdown, emotional breakdown in October uh, when we got this survey, just kind of like prepping you for turn in and it both just kind of hit us that, oh my gosh, this is happening. And I think like once we booked the travel and the hotel and kind of set everything up logistically, ever since then, it's just kind of been this like acceptance of like, this is going to happen. And I haven't been teary about it. Like there's moments if I think about the actual day of turning her in, I get a little teary, but I haven't been crying every night being like, oh, it's, I'm trying not to do the thing that's like over dramatic of like, what's the last time I'm giving you a bath or like the last <laughs> But it's hard not to think about those lasts, um, especially because we've been having a lot of like going away parties with all the neighborhood dogs and like the people who've just been around her. I'm super grateful for the puppy raiser community that I'm friends with. And I've been friends with them. They actually threw me, uh, I got connected with them through Gary, our friend Gary and his wife, who also has a facility dog. Long story short, I got connected with them there's like this amazing group of people who's we call ourselves the village because it takes a village to raise a puppy. So they call everyone the village and they threw me kind of like sight unseen. They threw me a party when I got JT. So that is just kind of this really cool full, full circle moment where they threw us a party on Friday night, kind of a little going away cadets going to college party. And they gave us this little bag that they're like, don't open this until the day of turn in. 
And they're like, it's kind of like your, they called it the outside of the bag. So it says the turn in zone. And it's kind of in the theme of the twilight zone. They're like, it's just the weirdest time when you're in between giving the puppy away, giving the puppy back and just waiting. And it's just, so I don't know what's in it. They're like, don't open it until that day. I'm sure there's a lot of tissues in there, but I just, that being around people who've been through it is really helpful. Uh, And there's this one lady who I love so much, Pat, and she's probably like in her seventies. And she's, I want to say she's probably raised like 15 dogs. She has been doing this forever. And she is just like a no BS, just tell it like it is. And she's just like, just rip the (laughs) bandaid. It's like, we kind of need to hear that too, because she's like, you don't also want to be the people that are just like hugging their dog and crying. And I'm like, I don't think we'll do that either. I think I'll be emotional talking to the trainer. It will be really hard for me to not focus on the fact that we are like saying goodbye so it's going to be really hard for me to talk to the trainer, but because um, we meet with the trainer on Friday and like do a quick, hi, nice to meet you. Okay, bye. But I also don't want to be that person. I, I just don't think I want to get it over with, to be honest with you. Like I want to get over this hump of just like turning her in and saying goodbye. So that is where we're at. Um, so yeah, I'm, it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like we've got, it's cool to see that we've done this together over the past 18 months and like. It's really such an awesome thing to be able to do for Canine Companions, and we'll definitely do it again. But this part, I can see why people really struggle with it. And the number one question people always ask when you're raising a dog is like, how could you give them up? And it's like, you because you do. <laughs> it's not easy. I don't think any puppy raiser would say that it's easy. And I think that's just kind of a comfort to know that every puppy raiser is going through the same thing on Friday. <laughs> We're all like commiserating right. together. You guys can all go out and get margaritas after. Exactly. Yeah. I was talking to probably Brandon about this the other day, and I realized I only ever met Cadet one time for like a second. It's just been a weird year. Yeah, it was. I mean, obviously. And I think that was at Jess's backyard. Was it Jess's backyard? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was obviously during the height of COVID. That was like summer 2020. Yeah, when we were barely kind of getting together. Um, Yeah. But yeah, she's, I mean, she's a... She's an amazing dog and she's her presence will definitely be missed obviously. But it's it's one of those things where like I was thinking about this in life. <laughs> this is, sounds so weird. But like in life most of the time like the sad things that are coming we don't like ha- always have a ton of time to anticipate and plan. I mean, certainly like getting ready for your kids to go off to college or you know, something that's kind of like a big either goodbye or uh, something that's like, I can't think of many situations where you have to anticipate a really difficult thing. Can you? I don't know. It's just, it's hard. I mean, I guess deaths, but like, that's a little extreme. So it's right. Or like a big, maybe like a big medical procedure, like a big surgery. Yeah. Where it's kind of a looming, weird Feeling. Especially when you've known this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. can totally get that sense of just being like wanting to get it over with. And like, you don't want to, like, you don't want it to happen, but you, since you know it has to happen, yeah. you just want it to be over. You just want it to be over. Yeah. And I think that's what I've kind of gathered from all the puppy raisers. And they're like, I guess in the past, CCI has kind of um, changed a lot of the procedures of like how they turn in puppies, where in the past, when I graduated with JT, they had this huge party where when they were doing the graduation for JT and I and all the people in my graduating class, 
all the people who were turning in puppies were there too. So they kind of just made it like this big hoopla and they, they put capes on the dogs that were getting turned in and they had pictures and it was kind of like, they. I could see why they made it a big deal to make the puppy raisers feel good. That sounds horrible to me because you're there and the whole time all you're thinking of is like, all right, 10 minutes away. All right, five minutes away. I'm going to turn this dog over. And then during COVID, it was even, it was like the other side of that was you, yeah, you literally, you yeah, like where you literally just put your dog in a kennel away. and walked away. Yeah. And I'm like, that sounds awful. Yeah. So this to me feels like the perfect balance of scheduling a time where you have 20 minutes and you, well, you know, up to 30 minutes, whatever, but you have like a shorter amount of time. I need like boundaries. I need someone to tell me what, where to be, what to do. Uh, right. Drop so you're not off. just like, actually, I remember this when my mom dropped me off at college. We would love to hear your stories. If you've if you have a memorable moment of your parent dropping you off mm. or you dropping off your own child. Yeah. Because I remember my mom and she's probably going to listen to this. Like you could tell, like there was no clear moment of like, okay, now you may leave. And we had like, we were setting up my dorm. It was pretty much completely set up. And we were, had like taken out a load of trash and we were standing next to the dumpster and she was like, well, I guess this is it. Like, I guess I'm going to leave. Do you need anything else? <laughs> and it was just so like, oh, okay. Like, I guess you're not going back inside with me. Like we just like, you know, I'm standing there in my like shorts and flip-flops and yeah. she's just like, well, I don't need, you know, but there yeah. wasn't a mo- a clear moment of like, okay, after okay. this, it wasn't like now the parents may get up and leave. Right. And it was, I didn't, I don't know. Looking back, I'm like, yeah, that was kind of awkward of like, well, do you leave? Do you stay? Like, it's getting late. I have to be here. You, you know, you're going to go back to your hotel and like leave tomorrow morning. It was just very like, okay, bye. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can appreciate now I was talking to my mom about this and she's like, you just, she's like, and then you'll just kind of think about her and you'll worry. And she, I mean, you guys know how I feel about comparing dogs to children. I don't do that, but I, but my mom was like trying to compare it. Um, But she was like, you know, I just remember when dad and I dropped you off to grad school and literally guys, grad school started on September 10th, 2001. So the next day is when September 11th happened. And I remember my second day of grad school being canceled. But my mom was like, I just remember because that was the day that they were supposed to go back to Colorado and or Arizona at the time. And she's like, we just worried the whole time because we're like, oh, is she going to be okay with this big life event handling herself at grad school? And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I don't even remember worrying about that. But like they were worried. And she's like, and I worried about your brother because at the time when he was uh, at the Naval Academy back then, they could barely do a three minute phone call. They were not allowed to contact anybody for like the first, I don't know if it was the first six months, but after they were out of kind of like a boot camp type of scenario, then they could write letters or do longer phone calls. But I mean, I, I think back now and I'm like, oh yeah, she was just at home, like worried about her kids, but you know, we're just do, going through the motions, doing what we have to do. Um, and I'm just like, at the end of the day, guys, I don't mean to sound like harsh, but I'm like, it's a dog. She's going to be fine. She's going right. to be just fine. She's not going to be sitting there being like, I wonder what. Nope. No, she's a dog. There's going to be tons of dogs there. And that's kind of yep. what I go to. I'm like, yeah, really, it's the human connection that yeah. we're just like, oh, my gosh. But I'm like, I have to remind myself this is a dog and she's going to be just fine. Right. <laughs> 100%. Um, okay, so you have another fun life. Well, fun. Another um, interesting, interesting turn of events. Life life milestone coming up. Yes. So I won't give the exact details. I've been told to be just kind of careful about like dates and details just to protect the patient. But I was cleared to go through with a bone marrow donation in November. 
after a lot of tests and a lot of questionnaires and very personal questions, I was cleared last week and I will be donating. And I am, I think at this point, what I'm just thinking of is like, I can't wrap my head around it. I can't wrap my head around how some weird universal thing, (laughs) if we want to get woo woo, I joined this registry, be the match. If you guys want to go on be the match.org. And I believe we already mentioned this on the show, but you think it's like 18 to 35. Claire is the last time we checked. Um, If you want to get under, you'd be under 35 to join. Obviously once you're on, they can call you at any time. Um, But if you have, if you're not currently on the registry, you do have to be under 35 to join. And that has to just do with them finding that they have significantly better outcomes. You know, the younger, I guess the donor is. So that's why that's there. Yeah. So, um, and I, I joined six years ago. And so that would make sense. I wasn't, I definitely wasn't younger than 35, but obviously they changed it for whatever reason. And so if you are under 35 and can join the registry, I mean, the the chances of you actually being called are really, really slim. So I know that people get a little worried about like, that just sounds really intense. And the procedure is a surgery where they go into your hip bone. But my procedure is not going to be through the hip bone to pull out the bone marrow. It's going to be through PBSC, which I always forget the name of it. And I don't have it in front of me, but you can Google it. It really looks like a blood transfusion where you're just sitting in a chair with needles in either arm. They're pulling out blood in one arm and then putting it back in the other. And it takes about five to eight hours just because they have to do it very slowly, pulling out your stem cells and then injecting it into the patient for the transplant. And so I'm in a private Facebook group for donors. And I've seen a lot of people going through the process in a lot of different stages of the process. And I can say that it looks like it's not, people aren't posting like they're having this horrible time. They're like, yeah, it took a long time. Or, you know, they had some troubles with my veins at first, but you know, overall I would do it again. And I'm so glad that I got this opportunity. It seems surprisingly non-invasive for what's happening. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, I think what everybody associates with it who are, I mean, and again, like I was, I was very uneducated around this whole process until I was kind of put into this situation. And so I feel like this is, I want to use this platform to educate people to at least just join the registry. You just never know who you could be helping. And to wrap my head around the fact that I asked my caseworker, hey, do you know if there's other donors that are being considered? And she said, you're you're the only one that's being considered for this patient. And I was never questioning whether or not I would do it. But I I think even more so now that I'm like, okay, I really want to make sure that I'm taking care of myself, that my health is in peak condition for the next few weeks until I donate. And then I do know that she's in the United States. I do know that she has leukemia. From what I hear from people who are who've either worked with bone marrow transplant patients or have gone through this process, is it's really like a hail mary at this point in their journey of trying to get this in their treatment in -hmm. their treatment plan. And so my ask right now for and I'm not super religious guys, but I think where I have a struggle with talking about it is I don't want to make it about me. It's really about this patient who is struggling with her health in a very serious way. And I would ask that you join the registry or if you believe in prayer to pray for this patient that 
she stays healthy for a transplant and that my blood or my immune system, this is how it was described to me. It's like your immune system goes into her. She literally has your DNA and that your immune system could reject her. That's where it could go wrong. So all my friends that are kind of in the field are like, just just keep talking to your immune system. Tell, tell it that it's okay, that to, we will accept her. Um, so I'm like, okay, let's just pray for that. Let's pray for her health and that pray for this transplant that my immune system doesn't freak out. And it's like, it's okay, you can go into her body. So that's my my mantra right now. It's a pretty trippy thing to think about because to think about you're saving someone's life or at least giving them the opportunity another chance at life is I can't even wrap my head around that. I can't even. Right. You can just sit there and talk to your little T cells and be like, Hey guys, yeah. you're about to go on a journey. You're I, going, I don't want, I want you to not freak out. Right. Everything's going to be fine. Let's do some prepping. Yeah. Let's get ready. Let's talk through what's going to happen. I kind and of envision it there, like a Pixar movie. Like, like, yeah. there's- <laughs> like osmosis Jones, which is not Pixar, but yeah, where you're going to be like, when you get there, it might be a little unfamiliar, but don't freak out. <laughs> it's going to be great. It might, you know, you're just going to make yourselves at home. Mm-hmm. And that's like you so can cool. find a home in her home. Right. And it's going to be a little different, but it's going to be yeah, great. They're right. going to clean it up for you before you get there. <laughs> it's all well, good. It's all yeah, good. It's, it's great. And I think the timing of it also knowing that it's happening, you know, hopefully will give you something else to focus on during yeah. turn in as well. And yep. it was funny when you first said the thing about turning in cadet, the way you phrased it, it sounded like you, like she was going to like turn into a pumpkin. Like she's <laughs> turn into. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. So it's just a big month and then you'll start your new job. Yeah. I mean, the second I would, yeah. And then I have, you know, family in town for Thanksgiving and then I get back from family in town for Thanksgiving and then I start my new job. So it's kind of like, wow, November just really turned into a fast and furious month, but it's all good things and it's all very emotional things. And of course, all my friends were like, just make sure you're taking care of yourself. Like this is a lot to take in. I'm like, I know. I will let myself cry and feel all the feels, but it is just kind of like, you know, going through all these tests that I've been doing. When I got my physical, the guy who did my physical was like, oh, it's really cool that you're doing this because they obviously be the match pays for everything. They pay for the travel. They pay because I do have to travel somewhere to get this done. And uh, he they pay for your physical, they pay for, they pay for everything. You know, the, the donors don't have to pay for anything. And so I had to go to this, you know, different doctor for a physical. And he's like, it's really cool that you're doing this. I'm like, well, who wouldn't like if, if you're called to do this, like who, how could you not? He's like, well, a lot of people don't. And I'm like, really? And it's like no judgment, but I don't have that in me to, to think about some, now the stranger and I are connected cosmically. And I just want to like telepathically be like, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Cause I think at any time too, donors can pull out donors could, you know, just back out of the whole process. But um, five days before the donation, I start this procedure called filgrastim. And there's shots of just basically boosting up your bone marrow. And so you're kind of like at your healthiest to donate, uh, which comes with apparently it comes with like aches and pains, you just feel achy, probably because your bones are like boosted with this stuff. Five days before the donation is when that process starts and the don't my caseworkers like, yeah, and at that point, you cannot back out, uh, which of course, I'm not going to but they really reiterate that because at the same time, and this is also trippy, at the exact same time that I'm going through this like blood boosting filgrastim shots, the patient's killing their immune system, just blasting their immune system. They're in such a fragile state 
that they could die. So you, they're literally just like killing off any ability for that patient to have an immune system kind of like getting ready for your immune system. And that is so trippy. And so, yeah, I just keep thinking of her that I'm like, I'm here for you, girl, wherever you are. And at some point after the transplant, we are, we have the ability to communicate anonymously through be the match. I'll probably send her a letter. I don't, if she wants to send me a letter, great. If not, that's fine too. And then a year after the transplant, you have the option if you both consent to get each other's like name and phone number and what address and communicate. So that's really cool too. But I also just think of her and hope, I, this is horrible to say too, but like you just hope that they make it for a year. I mean, this is such a serious diagnosis that I see a lot of patients in the Be The Match Facebook group that are like, yeah, I just learned today that my patient passed away. And it's just like... That is a reality as well. So I just keep thinking good thoughts that her health is going to pull her through all of this. So uh, it's a lot, guys. I know it's a lot. Big November over here on the pod. (laughs) Big November. A lot of things. A lot of crying, a lot of emotions, a lot of feels, but we're just, that's what life is. That's what life's about. We're doing it. We are doing it. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Well, I don't have any people's lives that I'm, changing this month that I know of. <laughs> you do it every day in motherhood. Every Claire. <laughs> day, something like that. Yeah. So I guess my like small updates, my job's going well. I'm a week and change in um, remote onboarding is still weird. Yeah. That's, that's kind of it. Miles is about to test for his next belt in Taekwondo. He's going to be a high, well, he's, you know, the, in, most likely going to be a high goal belt. So that's exciting. That is so exciting. Does he love it? He loves it. He's yeah. so bought into it. Like, I Again, that. I can't say good enough things about this yeah. this martial arts school that he's in. If you're in Northern Colorado and you have a kid, check them out. It's called Ripple Effect Martial Arts. It's so great. They're wonderful. We've absolutely loved every moment that we've had with them. And his entire personality has like completely changed since he joined in August, very much for the better. When you're in class, you have to call everyone sir and ma'am. You know, like even like walking in the door, the person who works at the front desk, she like stands there and hands out hand sanitizer. And she's like, how's your day at school? And he says, good, ma'am. He, and so then he does it like in school and his teacher was like, he's the most polite kid. I was like, yeah, thanks. That's I didn't so great. That. <laughs> it's so great though. I it's love great. it. It's great. So highly yeah. recommend. So my birthday is this month at the end. It's the day after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, like we always kind of reflect on like, oh, the, the past year, I mean, maybe we can do that in a future episode, but I just feel like this year again has just been like such a wash. Random kids being like, what do you want to do for your birthday? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Can Nothing. we all meet up with Meow Wolf? Is that no? The day after Thanksgiving, I don't think it'll be open. I know. It might be and a that's crap it. Show. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is like having your birthday right around Thanksgiving is like people are traveling and like, right. you know, but, and you know, a lot of people are already like socially burnt out from having to spend all Thanksgiving with your families. And it just has been interesting to kind of like start reflecting on the year and being like, wow, first of all, my last year's birthday feels like it was a lifetime ago. And also this year feels like, okay, well, we just had another kind of like, weird year that we didn't think was, you know, we thought we were going to get be better and now we're not. And then the other thing that we have coming up is miles is going to get his first vaccine a week from today, yeah. which is really exciting. And I, I think I, you know, I think it's a, it is a very different experience making the decision for your child than it is making the decision for yourself to get a vaccine. I know it's a very, you know, contentious topic. And I think I just want to really validate the parents out there right now who are having mixed feelings about this decision and seeing the bigger picture and really wanting that bigger picture world for your family where 
this becomes, you know, an endemic virus instead of a pandemic virus. And knowing that a huge part of that is our ability to get vaccinated, but also the reality that have giving all vaccines for children, I feel like have question marks around them these days and everyone has their own personal experiences with their you know their children being vaccinated and i think we remember the days like what do you think about remember the days when like jenny mccarthy books were people would take medical advice from like jenny mccarthy remember when she wrote that i mean it feels like we're not that far away from that you know now it's just people on instagram instead of that's true that's true and i think it's one thousand percent like especially like you know, there's all these like crunchy moms on Facebook or on Instagram who are really anti-vax. And that's not really what I'm talking about. I think that there's like, as we've, as we've really learned in the past couple months, in the past, you know, eight months, there are people out there who are like full stop anti-vax. Those people to me are a different mindset than the people who are truly just singular, singularly concerned about the COVID vaccine and about sure, the questions surrounding true. that yeah. and particularly for your child. And I think that, you know, I just want to validate that tension of understanding that like, this is what I want and I'm ready for my kids to not wear a mask at school and I'm ready for quarantines at school to end. And I'm ready to hopefully enter into a phase where we continue just chipping away at the severity of this virus. And I am not 110% without questions in the back of my mind, without concerns in the back of my mind. And that doesn't mean that we won't, you know, we are choosing to get him vaccinated as early as we can. And I'm excited about that choice. And I'm not 110% without a single shadow of doubt. You know, like, I think it's also worth realizing that like the vast majority of parenting decisions are like that. Rarely have I ever made a decision on behalf of one of my kids where I don't feel like, well, I hope this goes okay. (laughs) You know, and whether that be the day-to-day of what I feed them, whether that be where I'm going to send them to school, where I'm going to send them to daycare, what childcare choices we're going to make, whether or not, you know, we should both be working full-time, whether or not we should live where we live. Like every lifestyle choice that we make has that looming question mark in the back of my mind of like, mm-hmm. oh, I hope this doesn't backfire yeah. on behalf See of my kids. how this goes, right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we get into this, particularly when it comes to vac- the vaccine, it's like, well, if I'm not 110% sure that I'm not going to do it, my the reality check that I've had with myself is like, what parenting decision am I really 110% sure about? Zero of them. And I have to just, you know, go with my gut, feel like I'm making the best decision I can with the information that I have. And for us, that means getting vaccinated as quickly as possible and getting our whole family vaccinated. Evie's not eligible yet. You know, she's two and a half. So TBD on that timeline. But um, yeah, so I'm excited about it. Miles isn't like hates getting shots. I mean, what six year old wants to get shots? Of course. Yeah. But that's the other thing too, is like, you know, it's like, well, he doesn't want it. Like, well, of course he doesn't want it. He doesn't want any of his, you know, (laughs) right. He doesn't want to get his hair cut. He doesn't mm-hmm. want to wash his hair. Yeah. You know, like there's plenty of things that he doesn't want to do that yeah. I don't, I try to like weigh those. Like I don't really take them. I think a lot of people in this day, in like the kind of modern parenting style, I think that it's really great that we definitely see our children as, you know, individuals with very valid needs and opinions that we can like incorporate that into how we treat them and how we communicate with them. But at the same time, their brains aren't fully developed and we can't just like take their reactions as the steering wheel of how, you know, like we can use that information and then use our own judgment with how much, how heavily we're going to weigh it. Right. Sometimes we weigh it really heavily because, you know, it's that it's their, their lives and their bodies. And other times it's like, you know what? There's a reason that human children live with their families for so long. (laughs) I was wondering how you were feeling about that because I know that was coming up and 
you know, that's um, everyone has that personal decision to make for their family, for their bodies, for themselves, for their children. And I was wondering if you had any like, I, you know. I think like, it's been interesting. My opinion about the mindset around the COVID vaccine has changed a lot in the last probably like six months. And honestly, it's been really, it's changed a lot as conversations about abortion have also come up like in the, you know, with the Texas abortion law. And I've had to really consider to myself, okay, why do I feel so, 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 so strongly that abortion should be legal and accessible and that that should be a personal choice? Yet I have a different view about vaccines and that I think that vaccines should be able to be mandated in some circumstances. And I don't really have an answer for that. I don't know why, you know, I acknowledge that those are conflicting beliefs and I don't have the answer for why I'm yeah. okay with that. What comes to mind for me, and this is totally just my opinion, guys, I'm not saying anything is right or wrong here, but I'm just kind of like, we've, at least in my lifetime, I've never been in a pandemic. I feel like the stakes are higher around vaccines. We, I feel like it's a society obligation because we've never been in a pandemic before in our lifetime, at least for me, that is my obligation to my fellow people to protect. And yeah, I think and that I, that is a different thing from abortion where it's like... Well, and I, I agree with you. I think if I were to really look at it, it's like, yeah, because I don't see the decision of abortion as impacting others. but that is not how a lot of people see abortion. A lot of people do right. think that it impacts others. You know, they Fair. do see yeah. mm -hmm. that fetus as being an autonomous person who your decision is obviously greatly impacting. And so I really had to sit with that in the last several months and I don't have an answer for it. I can't reconcile it other than the fact that truly at the end of the day, you know, I see one decision as impacting others and another decision as not impacting others. And that's really kind of where you draw the line. But I also mm -hmm. can completely understand. And that is the root of the abortion debate, right? Is like, at what point does that decision, does that fetus or embryo or, you know, ball of cells have autonomy? And we cannot, you know, and, and at what point is it, quote unquote, a person. And that belief is from a lot of people, largely religious. And that's not something that you can argue with because it's not a fact-based, logic-based question for a lot of people. And I think that it's been interesting to think about that through the lens of like, should we be mandating vaccines? I think early on in our conversations about vaccines, I would get really fired up because I felt like the reasons that people were not getting vaccinated were based in incorrect information and the spreading of incorrect information. And like, we're based in these, in fear of, you know, side effects that weren't real or fear, you know, like, or people having questions and being like, well, we don't know anything about XYZ. And it was like, we do actually know that. Yeah. And, you know, those questions where I was so frustrated because I felt like guys, these issues that you're bringing up and these things that you're pointing to, to say, this is why I'm not doing it are not real. And that's where I do get really frustrated. But then I see an entirely different group of people who were like, listen, I'm not saying that this is not a big deal. I'm not saying the science isn't there. I'm not saying, you know, that whatever X insert argument here. Like I'm not questioning that. What I am questioning is, is this the right choice for me as a person under my individual circumstances? Those are the conversations that I think are so hard still for me to wrap my head around because I personally feel so strongly that like we as a society have this obligation to kind of, you know, put our individual concerns to the side a little bit and, you know, maybe take a little bit of a risk. And I understand also that that is an opinion and that is a personal belief. 
and I can't give that personal belief to other people around me. It's just something that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot, you know, as I prepare to make this decision for my kids and mm-hmm. as I prepare it. to have a lot of other moms around me not make that decision for their kids yeah. and like try really hard to have empathy for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's one thing I've kind of seen over. I mean, when have we ever been in a scenario where we've had to work through something that was a global issue like this to to where hundreds of thousands of people die. I can't think of one, but where we are in this tragedy pandemic and we're just kind of walking through it together, trying to figure it out with the entire world. And I, I kind of look back and where we know more now, science continues to learn more and change. I, I think I look back at that because I think of how much I've changed my views as well, just to kind of be a little bit more compassionate towards why people don't get vaccinated. And I think the reason why I was so heated about it last year was because of fear and anger. And we had a different administration that made me angry all the time. And I think I was speaking a lot from that too, is I didn't feel like we had a leader who was helping this this scenario. But, you know, people could argue about the same for right now, but I'm not going to get into that. I just think it's more like trying to be more compassionate that we were all just scared to death for this pandemic that's just never been in our lives before. We've just never experienced to this level. And that's what I see now of just, we're still in it, obviously, and doing the best that I can to protect everyone. But as we learn more and know more, I think that that is to our benefit. So we're not kind of like ripping each other's heads off all the time. But what concerns me, obviously, is the data around the people who are dying are the unvaccinated. So it's kind of like, all right, so why aren't people looking at that? But yeah. And that is, again, like that's, you know, where I feel like I start to, where I do start to feel like, wait a minute, there, this is, we aren't just randomly getting vaccinated for no reason. Like there is science behind this, there is data behind this. And that is where I start to feel frustration. But, you know, for some people, like I also have to be okay with that not being enough reason for them because I can't change those people. And I want to change them <laughs> sometimes. And I can't. And I think the best thing I can do is just, sit here and say, I here's my thought process. Here are the decisions I'm making with that information. And maybe that will help someone else think through why they should or should not examine their own thought process. And we've had people reach out to us and say, you know, thank you for bringing this up. I did finally have this conversation with my doctor because I realized that's who I should be talking to about it, not my Facebook group. And if that's anything you can take away from our conversations, it's the like, not every single person on the internet deserves an opinion and deserves input about this decision for you. Identify the qualified, educated individuals in your life who should have input on this decision and listen to them and, you know, and talk to them. Don't let everyone in your life and in your sphere have an input on this decision. I would yeah. say that vastly covers every decision. That you <laughs> every make. decision. Yeah. And we it, really are. We're letting too many people have input on our lives that like just don't deserve to have input. No, it's interesting that we're talking about this this week, too, because on the Girls Gone Wad podcast this week, I'm talking with J.K. McLeod again on who runs the muscle feed and also the help me understand podcast, but really talking so much about the same thing of how do we navigate those conversations when we're really just trying to understand, but also when you are who your audience is and really who it's for, because it really just might not be for everybody. So to be selective around that. So you might want to just complement this episode with that episode, it kind of covers a lot of the same thing. 
Coming um, up next. <laughs> yeah, coming up next. Well, let's switch gears to a celebration for one of our listeners who ran the New York yes. City Marathon this past weekend. Electa. Congratulations, Electa. Congratulations. One of our listeners. And and really longtime listeners, longtime community members. And this was a big goal for her. So we're so excited for her. As you guys probably some of you know, Joy ran the New York City Marathon, what, 10 years ago? 2005. 2005, long time and ago. And it's been a favorite memory that you have come back to a lot. Uh, to this day, I, I think about it and dream about it. And if I ever felt like I was healthy enough to run another marathon, and by that I just mean wouldn't screw up my immune system and my uh, thyroid again, I would do it again. Maybe one day. It, it really was like one of the best experiences of my life. Just it's so fun. It was so, so fun. Yeah. Um, so congratulations, Lecta. Congratulations. Anyone else who ran the New York City? Yes. We want to hear about it. I know, Tag us I was in some actually pictures. So, I was so surprised. Like on my Instagram, it was like blowing up with all these people who flew to New York for this marathon. I was like, I had no idea. I had so many people in my community, in my life who were running this race. So congratulations to all of you. Yeah. Yay. And so uh, Electa, your friend, your friend group, Crelly, is the shout out that they wrote in. And, and they were like, please tell us it's from, tell her it's from Crelly. That's your Marco Polo group. So if you also have a Marco Polo group, it's like the best. Yes. And the <laughs> thing that I love about that is like, you know, not to um, make it about us, but that is a group of listeners who all got together and were like, needed some accountability and found one another and have created this Marco Polo group that's been ongoing now for years. And it's so cool. Like I think about that and I'm like, wow. That's really cool. I remember that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so great. So congratulations. Yay. I hope your legs feel good. Yeah. I hope you're recovering and not running at all this week. Yeah. That's my wish for you. Take a break. <laughs> no running. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine running a marathon. I would get like 20 minutes in and I'd be like, why am I doing this? <laughs> oh, I really feel like I wish sometimes that I did like running because it's so accessible, right? Like you can do it anywhere in the world. It's relative, you know, it's relatively inexpensive. It's, you can kind of do it like with whatever time domain that you have, you can go out for a 20 minute run or a two hour run. Like, and I just don't, it's not my thing, which is fine. It's fine that it's not my thing. I have accepted that I am not a runner just the way that I'm not a morning person, just the way that I will never be five, six. All of those things are just physically not going to happen for me. And I'm bummed about it because one day it would be nice. And people, I know you're all listening being like, Claire, I used to hate running too. And now I love it. And here's how I got there. The answer, the like, the reality is I have tried those things. I have tried many times. I have tried different programs. I have tried coaches. I have tried like doing it on top of CrossFit. I've tried like running, run clubs. I've done the, you know, anything I, you could, I've tried signing up for race to motivate myself. I've spent hundreds upon hundreds of dollars on race fees that I have never even come close to training for because I was like, I have to sign up for a race and then I'll motivate me. It did not motivate me. It just made me feel yeah. terrible. <laughs> so I, I think, and I think I did a question, like a and a at one point, ask me anything on, on Insta, Instagram stories. And one of our listeners, uh, someone asked like, how do I get into running or how do I not hate running or whatever, whatever. And I basically answered like, well, if you don't like to run, don't run. But if you're truly like interested in trying it, I don't want to poo-poo it either. One of our listeners is a certified running coach. And if you want to just kind of dip your toe into just asking questions about maybe liking running or trying it. And if you still hate it, don't do it. I'm not a fan of like pushing your body to do something that you hate. 
but her Instagram handle is at coaching klutz. It's coaching all spelled out like coaching, coaching K L U T Z coaching klutz is her Instagram handle. If you want to reach out to her and be like, tell me about some running things. Cause you know, a thing or two about maybe starting running. If you're interested in trying it, I'll just say that noted. All right. Should we wrap up with a few Q and A's? Let's do it. Let's do some quick ones. I am entering medical school next year. What are your best slash worst experiences with MDs? Whoa. Oh my gosh. Wow. This may be a write-in question. I will just say off the bat, I hate and I've had a couple experiences with doctors who are more nervous than I am to be in the room. It's, let me just be clear. It's not like it's not like an awkward where I'm uncomfortable, but I can just tell that they're nervous of like, let's, for example, like a pap smear, they kind of like make a joke about you can tell like they're uncomfortable about doing the procedure where part of me wants to be like, I'm cool, been doing this every year for the past 20 plus years. So why are why are you uncomfortable? This is just like a normal thing that we should be like, they kind of address that that's like, oh, it's just a nervous thing. And da, da, da. and it's like, I don't need that. Like, just act like you've done this a bazillion times, because it really should just be routine. That's horrifying. That's never happened. Yes, that's never happened. Yeah, oh. it's happened to me a couple times where I'm like, I don't need no, I don't need oh. the nervousness. I need you to act like this is so beyond normal. That weirdness and you seeing parts of me that really no one sees is just a day in the life (laughs) of your job. That's what I need you to do. You know, those tweets that are like, that are like, why do we always hide our underwear at the gynecologist's office? She's about to look at your cervix. She can handle seeing your folded up panties on the chair. I think about that every time I have to undress for anything. We all do it. We all do it. We hide our underwear under our folded up pants. Totally. Or like, yeah. And uh, I got a mammogram this summer and I was just like, you kind of like cover up. I'm like, this, this lady does this a thousand times. One million times per day. A year or whatever. And I'm just like, why am I covering up with my gown? But it's just like, she's holding right. on to people's boobs all day long. So right. just- 1,000%. <laughs> I, but I do appreciate those nurses that are just like, oh, honey, just like, let it hang out. Like- I've seen it all. <laughs> Honestly, I think like the biggest thing about having kids, having gone through pregnancies is like now, and I remember being a teenager and being like more, not a teenager, but like in college and being mortified about having a pap smear. And my gynecologist at the time who was also an OB was like, I know this is uncomfortable. Like, I know this is like not physically uncomfortable, but she's like, I know like this, like makes you nervous. She's like, one day, if you ever decide to have kids, you will laugh about how you're feeling right now. Because eventually, like if you ever have kids, it just is like, I truly don't care anymore. Like whatever needs to happen down there, it's just not a big deal anymore. I used to like, you know, trim up before I would go to like, not anymore. I'm like, (laughs) she's seen it all. They do not care. And also, I'm like, of all the things. For I really just want to note, though, that you did this like this, I wish like you a little shimmy. About, Claire like, just trimming. did a shimmy when she was talking about trimming. I was like, I was this? like, is she gonna like take her pants off right now? What? Like, not sure what she's doing. What am I doing over there? <laughs> um, but back to the question, I feel like the best experiences I that I have with MDs are when they treat you really like you are also bringing something into the conversation and like not just. Like, I feel like it's so common these days, you know, because we, you only have seven minutes with your doctor or whatever, by the time you get in with your medical assistant and they get all your vitals and then your, your actual doctor physician comes in, whether you're getting a routine checkup, whether you're seeing a specialist, whether you're in the ER, like it can feel like you are just taking up their time. And so the best doctors are the ones who really like repeat back to you what you're saying. And really, you know, even if they can't provide an answer in that moment, they they make you feel like, okay, this person is actually hearing what I'm saying. And 
even if they don't think there's anything wrong. Like I recently had a neurologist appointment and I guess neurologists are sort of like famous for not necessarily being the most personable. My first neurologist appointment that I ever had in like 2014, when I first started having this tremor, I felt like he took one look at me and decided immediately what my diagnosis was. You know, like I didn't feel like he really took the time to hear my concerns. Here I am, this young, fit, healthy person sitting in his office saying like, hey, my hands have just started shaking out of nowhere for no reason. And he's like, oh, does like five minutes of, you know, little calisthenic tests on me. And it's like, oh, it's just, this is what it is. And I was like, How, what? We, we haven't even talked about it. And then also it was like, here's what it is. And here's your only option for like, you can take beta blockers. That's it. And I was sitting there being like, I'm, you know, at the time I was like, I'm 24 or 25 maybe. And like, you can't, I just remember feeling so defeated after that. And then recently I, I finally went back and it was such a bad experience. And like, I felt so disregarded that I just kind of never went back to the neurologist after that. And then just recently I had another appointment with a different neurologist. And I mean, it's been seven and a half years since that initial appointment. And I finally got to the point where I was like, I need to see someone else about this. Like my tremor feels like it's getting worse. I'm getting migraines, like all this stuff. I actually had a neurologist who I felt like really was like, okay, here's what I think I'm seeing. Am I missing anything? Do you have any other concerns about this? Is it okay with you that this is the route that we go? Here's my follow-up here's what I think I would like to do for a follow-up. But if you want a sooner follow-up than that, you know, like we can do that if you want. And I felt like it actually mattered to them what I wanted out of this situation. And I also like when I was in labor with Miles, I know I briefly spoke a little bit about my birth story last week or the week before. I had this horrible labor and delivery nurse who really didn't think I was in labor and was like just trying to dis- was again very dismissive. And I feel like being dismissive is the worst thing you can be as a medical professional because someone is coming to you, they're so vulnerable. The last thing you can, you know, being dismissed in that state just feels a thousand times worse than any other reaction, really. I remember at finally my midwife came in and sat down and was like, What do you want out of this? Like, w- what's your desired outcome here? Because that's what matters. Hearing that in that any moment that you're in a medical, you know, that you're in a medical situation of like, what's your desired outcome? How, you know, how can I help you get there? Just feel so validating. And just affirming that patients really know their body. And if they are very adamant that there's something else going on, kind of listen to them. But I, you know, back to the question too, of your best experience, I would say kind of what you just said about people really taking the time to listen and not rushing you through it. And I think of my primary care physician who's amazing. And she does this, she just acts like I'm the only person that she's treating that day. She's just listening to me. I often will feel rushed because I feel like I'm taking up too much of her time. So I'll rush through things, but she just sits there and just listens and it's like slow and calm. And I just feel like heard. And I think that that's important. So I hope that helps. Good luck in med school. That's a Exciting. Okay, we'll that do one quick one. a long answer, but yeah. We'll, I know, we'll, we'll do one, one more quick one. And then we'll answer the rest. You guys are submitting some really good questions. So we'll answer these on a future episode. Oh, let's do this one. This is really cute. It's just apropos of fall. What is your favorite winter coat? I have opinions on this. I love a coat. I knew you would. <laughs> I'm going to let you go, go okay. for it. All right, guys, you're going to need three winter coats. Here are my top three. And it doesn't matter what brand, to be clear. But these are the three types of coats that everyone must have. If you're living in a relatively dry climate. Let me preface that. And here are my three favorites. So the first thing you're going to need is a long puffy jacket. We're talking knee length or longer. I cannot tell you what a game changer the long puffy jacket is. And if you live somewhere that's like where it rains a lot, you can get the type that also has a shell on top, but it's a puffy underneath. Having your butt covered by your puffy jacket is an unbelievable game changer. And the longer you can go, the better. If you can get like the mid calf length, do it. 
wear a puffy bathrobe. Like that's the that's the dream. Even though they're normally like literally five plus hundred dollars. Highly recommend. That's my favorite one. I don't care what brand it is. And it brands are so different depending on your body type. I personally, um, I have an Arcteryx one that I got on like super sale and I like it because it's like a little bit more of a curvy silhouette versus like a Patagonia, which is more straight up and down or versus even like a North Face, which is also a little, has a little bit more room for curviness. And like, don't even get me started on Hallie Hansen, which is like Hallie Hansen cannot, you can't, in my experience, you can't have curves and wear Hallie Hansen, any amount of curves at all. And like, I'm not like an overly curvy person, but even still just none. Okay. The next thing, my, uh, my next favorite jacket is just like a basic puffy, like a lightweight puffy. Like my, my go-to is the Patagonia nano puff, but every major outdoor brand out there has something similar, like a lightweight puffy. Like lightweight, you, can, you could also pack it up real easily. Yeah. You can pack it up. You can layer underneath it. That's really key. Is that like, if it's not too cold outside, you could just wear it over like a light long sleeve shirt. But if it's colder outside, you can put a, like a fleece underneath it and like you're good to go. And then I think the third thing that you need is just like something that's so soft and cozy. And I have one that's this like really fluffy, what's that word? Not velour, but like fluffy. I know what you're talking about. Sherpa? Sherpa. And it's like just so, and it's not that practical. It's not going to hold up in the snow or in the rain. But if I just am like feeling crappy because mm-hmm. it's cold outside, I can just put it on and I, just like snuggle up into oh it. Oh my gosh. I have one from Lululemon that's a, <gasps> a kind of like a big, it's a, almost like a sweatshirt style, but it's got yeah. this huge turtleneck and it is the coziest thing. I live in that thing in the winter. Literally guys, this is your coat that is for emotional comfort. So we're talking two yep. practical, kind of technical, warm. practical, warm winter jackets. And then one that is just for your emotional warmth. Can we and add like a, a Jason that I really love a, a warm vest when it's just like a midday? Oh, you have to have a vest. I love a yes. warm vest. A puffy vest is yep. a critical, critical component. Puffy vests are so good. They're the best, especially on like those days where you just maybe the the weather's a little warm, but it could take a turn. It's just like the per- perfect transition. It really is. It is. Piece. It's also great if you just like need to hop out for a sec and you want something that has pockets, but you're like not ready to commit to the whole jacket. Yeah. yeah. I wear it sometimes like if I'm a little cold in the house and you don't feel like you're wearing a huge yeah. bulky thing exactly. in the house. So sometimes I'll just put that on. It's great. I, I have nothing to add to that because I, you summed it up perfectly. So I'm not going to add to it. <laughs> Guys, outerwear is my passion. <laughs> Please, if you have any outerwear questions, somebody recently, uh, a couple months ago, maybe wrote it, wrote me a DM and was like, I'm moving to Colorado. Like, what do I need? And I was like, okay, here's what you're going to want. And I sent them like all these different links. <laughs> and they were like, wow. It's like, yeah, asking you shall receive when it comes to jacket recommendations. We should also put together a list at some point of favorite like beanies and warm hats because there's nothing worse than wearing a beanie and it itches your head and itches your forehead or it doesn't cover your ears. So we should go through some top Uh, hats. My favorite is- Top hats? (laughs) Some top top hats. Your top hats. My favorite is a Skida, not a Skida. It's the brand is called Skida, S-K-I-D-A. They're based out of Vermont. It's like this really cute small business. And they have these amazing fleece headbands. They're so thick. Highly recommend. Oh, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Pen's and they come out. in super, Skida. super cute patterns. Okay. All their fabric is so cute. You can hear Joy scratching away in her notes. Yeah. All right, guys. I think that's it for today. Yes. We covered a lot. We covered a, a lot. lot of ups, a lot of downs. Send us some good thoughts when you hear this episode. We'll be on our way to Oceanside, California with Cadet to turn her in Friday, November 12th. Just send us all the good vibes. And if you're in California, I don't know, tell, give us some recommendations where we can drown our sor- sorrows in food and, and drink on Friday night. That'd be great. Thank you. 
I believe we're going to be staying near, not far from Oceanside. Let's just call yes. it that. Yeah. All right. And don't forget, you can check out our other two podcasts, Girls Gone Wad podcast, which is all about fitness and health and On Your Marks Get Set Bake, which is all about the Great British Baking Show, uh, where we cover each week's new episode. And you can follow us on Instagram at joyandclaire underscore. You can find us online, joyandclaire.com. You can email us. This is joyandclaire at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Please send us your emails. Please send us DMs, anything you want. We love to hear from you. We love to just get to connect with our community that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.